One of these years, I need to make it out to Las Vegas for the events of this upcoming weekend, the opening rounds of the NCAA tournament. I've heard it's the craziest sports-related Vegas weekend of the year. If any of you out there listening has done the Vegas trip for the first round of the tournament, let us know how it went on the West of Evers Facebook page or on Twitter or through our email. It's too bad I'm not going this year because it'd be a good opportunity to kill two birds with one stone, bet a bunch of college basketball games, and also buy some futures tickets on college football win totals. Normally, win totals for the upcoming season come out in the summer, but at least one book released numbers for a lot of the top teams last week, and I bet you can guess which two schools have the highest numbers. Yep, Alabama and Clemson's 2019 win total opened at 11. For those of you unfamiliar with betting college football over-unders, the number you're betting is strictly for the regular season. Bowl games and playoff games don't count towards the total. Therefore, if you bet Bama or Clemson over 11, you're cashing a winning ticket only if that team goes 12-0. Yikes. As for OU, the Sooners' opening number is 10.5. Georgia also opened at 10.5. Everybody else, 10 wins or fewer. To put it simply... Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, and the Sooners are the favorites to make the college football playoff in 2019. Now we've got five plus months to talk about who's going to make the playoff this upcoming fall, so I'm not interested in having that debate at the moment. However, I would like to pose a question to the listeners, and I'll also pose this question to Grant during the show. Why do you think OU's win total opened at 10.5? The simple answer is obviously, well, Oklahoma is really good, but Think back to the summer of 2017. Lincoln Riley had just taken over as OU's head coach. Baker Mayfield was returning for his final season, and the Sooners' win total opened at 9.5. OU proceeded to go 11-1 in the regular season, the over hitting comfortably. What about last summer? Mayfield was gone. Kyler Murray was the expected starter, but he hadn't played significant snaps since 2015 at Texas A&M. Mike Stoops was still coaching the much-maligned Sooners defense, and OU's win total opened at 10. Fast forward to early December, the Sooners had gone 11-1 yet again, and the over cashed yet again. Now, in the spring of 2019, OU's looking to replace the Heisman Trophy winner for the second straight season. Four starters on the offensive line have been lost to the NFL draft, presumably, and the most electric receiver in college football is out the door as well. And OU's win total opened at 10.5, the biggest opening number for the Sooners in years, maybe ever. Expectations are always high in Norman, but as far as Vegas is concerned, expectations have never been this high in the brief Lincoln-Riley era. And Riley is the easy explanation as to why OU's win total keeps rising. The offensive genius head coach has his placeholder quarterback, as well as his future quarterback. Riley's got a quartet of elite freshman pass catchers, the best offensive line coach in the nation, and Riley has his hand-picked defensive coordinator. When it comes time to place your bets on the Sooners, I'd stay away from the under. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. At the 49, McCoy pump fakes, and now he's going to get smothered by Austin English. English showing great speed coming off that edge. You don't think English has got some speed? That's right. Former Sooners defensive end Austin English kicks off this week's episode. That was English sacking Colt McCoy in the fourth quarter at the Cotton Bowl back on October the 6th, 2007. 
It was one of two sacks on the afternoon for English as the Sooners beat Texas 28-21. English had nine and a half sacks in 2007, which led the Big 12. What's up, everybody? Once again, I'm Lee Benson. My brother Grant will join me here in a moment. Bill Biedenboe spoke to the media last Tuesday night, actually while we were recording last week's podcast. So because of that, we didn't get any of the information on the show back then. So we'll talk a little offensive line today. Biedenboe gave us some insight on who's playing where this spring. Of course, with four starters gone, plus Creed Humphrey on the shelf with an injury, it's been a free for, it's been a free for all for the O-line group so far. Also, I've got some thoughts on the nickelback position with an assist from James Hale at the Football Brainiacs. I'll explain what I mean with that coming up later in the show. And of course, Pro Day was last Wednesday. Not a lot of news as far as I'm concerned coming out of Norman, even though it was a massive event with all 32 NFL teams in attendance and more than 100 media members there. We'll get into all of that later in the show, talking Kyler Murray, of course, and then a couple other nuggets on Marquise Brown and Rodney Anderson. Also happening pretty much right after we recorded the podcast last week, the Browns trading for Odell Beckham Jr. Even before the trade, there were rumors about OBJ to the Browns. We actually talked about that last week on the show at the end of the podcast. Grant didn't like the idea of that trade going down. I did like that trade, If depending on – I didn't know what they were going to give up at the time, but the idea of OBJ in Cleveland, I did like that. So we'll see if any of our minds have changed now that OBJ to Cleveland is a real thing. So – that's the overview of the show. Time to bring in Grant for the first time this week. Grant, what's going on? Nothing much, Lee. Go ahead and take that uh, that OBJ take that I had at the end of last week's episode. Go ahead and just ship that one right to the Hall of Fame. I love it. Of course, I, I think are it was you, about. Do you mean was, that seriously? Or are you joking? Oh, I mean, yeah, I'm being I'm being ironic because I oh, mean, obviously, okay. it was a it was an epically terrible take, and it only only making it you know, more terrible was the fact that the news broke literally 30 minutes after I, I uttered those words. Uh, so yeah, when I, when I saw the news, I, I hysterically laughed. So, uh, well, we, your we, reasons behind why you didn't like it. We can talk about it later. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We'll talk I, about I think it you later. Still have, I, have, I mean, you might have a point and yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll tease that for later. I have a much, I, I have much more crystallized thoughts on it. Um, Lee and I, we, we, we kind of went back and forth on it via text last week, kind of after it happened where I was still communicating kind of some concerns with the sort of with the spirit of the trade. Um, but like I said, my thoughts on it have crystallized a lot more, and it's it's certainly an interesting thing, uh, an interesting thing to discuss, which we will do later on in the show. So, Grant, what are your thoughts on Oklahoma's opening win total, opening at uh, I guess twenty nineteen win total opening at ten and a half? Now, this is an offshore sports book. It's March. I mean, the big sports books in Vegas and stuff. I think they'll still probably release everything in July. Normally, is kind of when it comes out. So we'll see if the number's different then, but. The fact that Oklahoma is 10 and a half, why do you think it's so high? Well, I mean, there's lots of different factors that go into it. I think if you want to look at more recent factors, you can probably point towards Jalen Hurts coming here. I think it's fairly safe to say that I don't think it would be 10 and a half if, if, they were, if the Sooners were relying on Austin Kendall or Tanner Mordecai or Spencer Rattler. I would assume it probably would be closer to 10 or 9 and a half. Um, so I, I guess like in the now, the reason it's 10 and a half is probably Jalen Hurts, but also the fact that Oklahoma has kind of differentiated themselves um, across college football as one of the powers of college football right now. I think that's fairly obvious. Of course, Alabama and Clemson are sort of in a realm by themselves. But after that, I, I think it's fairly safe to say that Oklahoma is probably one of the four or five 
uh, biggest powers in college football right now. And so I think uh, the win totals are going to be reflected in that. And you also see it in the other two teams that probably have a claim to uh, to being part of that group, Ohio State and Georgia. I think their win totals are pretty similar as well. The Joe Schmo guy would just think, obviously you got Lincoln Riley, Jalen Hurts is there, he had success at Alabama. That's probably a big reason why Oklahoma's done well in the Big 12. I'd be curious, though, to know how how much of a factor Alex Grinch is in all of this because he's the guy that we, of course, know about. But nationally, I'm sure a lot of people don't even know Oklahoma has a new defensive coordinator. that they don't Because, I mean, you just don't think about coordinators as much in the college game as you do in the NFL. So I'd be curious to talk to some Vegas sharps or bookmakers and whenever they come out with their number, if it's still 10 and a half, I'd be curious to know how much of that number is because of Alex Grinch. I guess, I mean, we're not going to know that, but uh, the idea of Oklahoma's defense being better and Oklahoma still being so dominant in the Big 12 recently, I think that factors in a little bit too. I just don't know how much it factors in. Yeah, it might. I, I don't know. I, I think there's, pro- there's, there's probably lots of factors that, that really go into it. Um, but for the most part, I think a lot of the time those, and these aren't, I almost said Vegas Sharps, like you said, this is an offshore book, but I think a lot of the time they're going to be living in the here and now. And Oklahoma, like I said, is, is is one of the three or four best programs in college football right now. And typically you would think a top four team would go about 11-1. and one. Um, And that's exactly what OU has done the last two years. Um, so yeah, I, it, if, if you would have had me blind pick what I, what I would have thought they would have come out with, that's the exact number I would have guessed. All right, let's talk about this elite team that's kind of established themselves as one of the top four or five teams in college football. It's spring practice, but right now Oklahoma's on spring break. So that means that practice has kind of been put on hiatus for a moment. No media availabilities this week, but because of our schedule a week ago, we haven't had a chance to comment on any of the practice stuff from last week. So we'll do that now, and I want to start with the offensive line. Bobby Evans, Cody Ford, Drew Samia, and Ben Powers are all gone. All of them should get drafted next month. Creed Humphrey, of course, is back, but he's out this spring recovering from postseason surgery. So because of all of this, Bill Biedenboe and Lincoln Riley are getting a chance to see a lot of new guys get valuable reps on the offensive line. Last week, Lincoln Riley said that the offensive line has been, quote, interesting so far early in the spring. A lot of guys are getting reps at different positions, Riley said, and he also said that long term, this will be phenomenal for these players, but he did admit in the short term that they're going to have a lot of tough moments, especially here in spring practice, which is not surprising for him to, to say, considering all these guys are relatively inexperienced. So Grant, last week, I remember you were wondering, with Creed Humphrey out, who's playing center? We figure that out we found out that Tyrese Robinson has been getting the most reps at center and this will be Robinson's third year in the program at Oklahoma he's a redshirt sophomore he played six games a season ago Riley saying that Robinson has been a guard so far at Oklahoma but this spring they are playing him at center with Humphrey out so Grant uh, there's your answer about the center position short term what are your thoughts I it's it's interesting um I suppose, yeah. I mean, just with with the health problems and with Creed being out, um, Evans being gone, Ford being gone, two early entries that, like I said, we're not sure if those were things they were anticipating. There's just not a lot of depth up there right now. And so 
obviously I think they're just going to have to kind of plug and play in the spring. And going forward, I can see what Riley is saying about how this was is going to be beneficial for them going forward just because um, a lot of success on the offensive line really does uh, come down to continuity um, and how well you work with your other line mates. And I think knowing the responsibilities of the person next to you can go a long way to uh, – to, to improving that continuity. So I, I can certainly see why this would be a good thing, um, them playing out of position in the spring. But at the same time, I, I'd be lying to you if I wasn't a tad concerned that these guys, or at least some of these guys, are not in the positions currently that they probably will be when fall practice starts. Um, I, I suppose I would like it if they were uh, spending a lot more time in their actual positions, learning those, getting better at them. But I'm, I'm, I'm sure you could, you could easily say or you could easily argue that, hey, Tyrus Robinson, this is his third year in the program. He's been playing right guard the last two years. He knows how to play right guard. He knows all the responsibilities of, of right guard. Uh, having 15 practices at center, maybe not, maybe not you know, be that big of a deal. So um, I don't know. I, I think over the course of the spring, it's, it's going to be really difficult to, to critique the offensive line just because they're not fully healthy and guys aren't, aren't where they're probably going to be in the fall. So um, I think really for spring practice, I think we, we should all just be praying that they get out of spring healthy for the most part. I think that's the biggest thing we should be watching. And we may already know this about Bill Biedenboe and about Oklahoma's offensive line, and I'm just forgetting it right now, or it's been addressed, and I just haven't heard it in the you know, the last handful of years or however long Biedenboe has been there. But haven't you theorized that at Oklahoma, Bill Biedenboe is a guy that wants all of his offensive linemen to be basically be able to play all the different positions anyways? I mean, you had Cody Ford as a guard, moved him to tackle last year, and that was just fine. He was really good. So you have all these other players right now with Creed Humphrey out, and then you're you're replacing four offensive line starters. Bill Biedenboe, in his mind, might be thinking, you know what, I need these guys to be able to play pretty much every position anyways, so he's not too concerned about it at the moment. And hearing his availability, you know, Bill Biedenboe never seems particularly concerned about anything. He's just really good at his job, and he's very confident in his players. But the fact that they're getting all these looks, some of the guys are playing out of position here, that I, I tend to not be as concerned as maybe it sounds like you are. Yeah, and I don't know if concerned is the right word. It's just okay. I'd like it if some of these guys were in their actual positions, practicing them right now. Um, but the bottom line is that's not the case, and there's no way it can be the case. They have to they have to work with what they have right now. So um, I, I don't think this is a bad thing per se, or at least it's not until we see evidence of the case. So we'll see how they play during the spring, I suppose. But you can you can actually kind of after what you read, and I think you would you would mention some sort of quote from Riley saying that, Hey, they're going to uh, hear sort of in the micro in spring, they're probably going to struggle a little bit, but going forward, uh, it's going to be good. We'll see how they look in the, in the spring. I, I, you know, I don't know. It's, or the spring game, I mean, so we'll, we'll uh, I, th- I think they had also, we've read reports as well that it's possible that the defense has kind of gotten the best of the offense um, for the most part in, in terms of seven on seven and, and scrimmage scrimmage situations as well. And I'm sure that, has to have a lot to do with just sort of the plug and play that they're doing on the offensive line. Yeah, Lincoln Rowley said the defensive scheme, they've been on or ahead of schedule so far. And I can't remember if he admitted that in the presser or not last week, that the defense has been getting the best of the offense more if I read that somewhere else. I read I it in one of the practice reports that we added into the the rundown today. So it's it'll come up. It, it might have been in okay. one of those James Hale reports, I think. Okay. Uh, also, just... To be clear, redshirt senior Clayton Woods and redshirt sophomore Ian McIver 
are also getting reps at center, according to Bill Biedenboe. Uh, those players, though, I haven't seen really any action. So uh, Tyrese Robinson, the main guy there, just wanted to give those players their due. So at this time, let's use Bill Biedenboe and Lincoln Riley's availabilities from last week, and we'll pair it with the aforementioned James Hale, who he's a good Sooners insider. He had notes that are posted for free at the Football Brainiacs website. And let's kind of use all the information we have from the coaches and from James and we'll talk about what we figure is the likely first team offensive line right now in spring ball. So this is what I've gathered that it looks like, Grant, and you can help fill in the blanks if you disagree with some of this. So at left tackle, Michael Thompson is there. At left guard, Bray Walker is playing there right now. We know Tyrese Robinson's at center. At right guard, I'm not sure. Based on Biedenboe and Riley and, and James's raps, I it's not clear to me who's playing right guard right now uh, and at right tackle is Adrian Ely and it is worth noting that Eric Swenson is injured Bill Biedenboe saying that Swenson's going to be back after spring break so it didn't sound like it's a it's a serious injury but that's the starters that I have right now right now the again a question mark for me at right guard so Grant your thoughts on those four players and those five positions yeah, I mean, definitely pieced together. I mean, right now you have Michael Thompson at left tackle, who is a guy who three weeks ago was presumably a defensive tackle. Um, so that's probably not what you really want to see at the arguably the most important offensive line spot. Um, at the same time, Michael Thompson has had some pretty good reviews so far. Um, he's been he's been impressive. Apparently, he also looks physically impressive, I, which I had mentioned on on last week's show. Um, Lee, I would I would assume the right guard is probably been Finley Felix the JC transfer I would guess um that's a guess on my part I'm not uh not breaking any news there or anything I'm just by process of elimination I just kind of figured he's probably the best the best bet to be that guy okay speaking of Michael Thompson we can get back to the question mark at right guard you mentioned he's getting good reviews last week Bill Biedenboe talking about Michael Thompson says uh, said that Thompson is better than he anticipated. That's Bill Biedenboe's quote, quote, better than I anticipated. And uh, Bill Biedenboe's saying that they're going to try to not move him from left tackle. So right now he's at left tackle. And it sounds like Biedenboe and Riley, I would assume, do not want to move him anywhere else. So they want him to be at left tackle. So in a way, you could think that's kind of high praise for a guy that has never – well, I guess he played in high school. He They, they recruited him as, as an offensive lineman, as Bill Biedenboe pointed out too. So uh, – so that's about Michael Thompson. Also, B. Biedenbo said something that Lincoln Riley kind of said in his first spring practice presser that the best chance that Thompson has to get on the field right now is playing offensive line. So that's the reviews on Michael Thompson. So, yeah, it is sounding good. And um, Eric Swenson is a potential starter at left tackle. But again, like I said, he is out. So we'll see if what happens between Swenson and Thompson whenever Swenson gets back and we learn more about those players. As for right guard, yeah, I'm not going to speculate on who there is there. Yeah, sure, Finley Felix. Uh, and I think he's been playing a little center too, potentially this spring. But uh, that that's that's the four, that's the five. I think what, what's more interesting though, maybe in the long run, is talking about what the starting lineup could look like that first team offensive line once Creed Humphrey's back, because we know Creed Humphrey's going to be there, and we know that Tyrese Robinson's not going to be playing out of position at center, so. What do you think that starting lineup, I know it's middle of March, Grant, but when Creed Humphrey returns, which will be obviously after the spring, 
knowing what you know right now, I have mine written out here, left tackle through right tackle, who I think will, who is number you know, number one in the depth charts. Who do you think is number one in the depth charts once Humphrey's back in the fold? Sure. Yeah. So going from left to right, Lee, I think uh, the starting offensive line is very likely to be Bray Walker on, on at left tackle. I think uh, Marquise Hayes is going to be the left guard. Um, I think Creed will obviously be the center. I think Tyrese Robinson will be the right guard. And I think Adrian Ely will be the right tackle. And I think the the transfer from Virginia, R.J. Proctor, will be the sixth offensive lineman, sort of the the Cody Ford role from 2016 and 2017. All right, well, mine's pretty different. I'm just basing this off of what we've learned the last week or so and who's playing where. I haven't heard anything about Marquise Hayes. Yeah, I was going to say, Hayes, yeah, I, I don't know why. So he, he's probably playing right guard, actually, I would guess. I totally, that totally blanked. Marquise Hayes might be might be kind of the crown jewel of this offensive line, um, kind of when it's all said and done. The guy is massive, and he's a freak athlete. If you've ever seen that video of him dunking. Uh, yeah, I think I have. So I don't have him in my my top five. or That sounds dumb, top five. My, my ones right now. I'm just kind of basing off of what we know. So obviously you throw Creed at center. So by process of elimination, if Tyrese Robinson's playing center right now, I think he's normally a guard. I shifted him over to right guard. And Bray Walker is playing guard right now. So if he's playing guard instead of ta- left tackle with you know with Thompson, I don't know why he wouldn't be there instead of Thompson unless they want to get Thompson all these reps and they're just already comfortable with Bray Walker. Oh, and they're thinking Bray, Bray Walker's a tackle, Lee. He's he's definitely a tackle. I mean, this is this is very very stitched up here. Like I, I don't really oh, about how how Cody Ford was definitely a guard and definitely not a tackle, like you said last year too. These guys I mean, can play anywhere. Do you have I mean, do you they, have proof? I said that last year. Well, yeah. I mean, you were t- totally against the idea of Cody Ford moving to tackle. Yeah, I mean, I I, I was originally, <laughs> I suppose, but I I mean, they they didn't they just they didn't recruit Bray Walker to come in and play guard. I mean, that's Marquise Hayes played played left guard and every every mop up duty he came in uh, last year. Tyrese Robinson played right guard every time he was in mop up duty. Okay, um, and you may very well be right about it. I'm just basing it off of where the guys are right now, and since Bray Walker's playing left guard right now, I figure they like Michael Thompson, they like Eric Swinson at left tackle, so I figure at left tackle will be one of those guys. My, my, my guess originally is because Swinson is hurt, they probably thought, hey, tackle is literally the only place Michael Thompson can play. Let's, let's move Bray over, is my guess. Okay. And then, of course, we don't really know what's going on with David Swaby, who is another guy who could be a tackle. Daryl Simpson is a uh, is a redshirt freshman who is also a tackle. So I don't know. Yeah, okay. I just I, I don't know. I mean, I I do not anticipate Bray Walker being a guard at all. Could I be wrong? Sure, but I mean, I'm pretty sure he was the number one offensive tackle in in high school football coming out like a couple yeah, years. Yeah, he's ago, a big so. dude. I got a chance to see him a couple times when he was at Westmore. Big guy. So yeah, I mean, I don't know. I. I honestly don't. Uh, I'm not an expert on the offensive line, so you know, take it for what's worth. That's just what you know. This is a this is a fun exercise in the middle of March to talk about the offensive line. One player randomly that was brought up that may not be may not be a factor at all, but I just kind of found it interesting. Uh, Bryce Roberts is a player that Bill Biedenboe brought up, who's kind of going back and forth between guard and tackle. He's a transfer. He was at New Mexico State. And at New Mexico State, he played tight end. And now at Oklahoma, he's listed as an offensive lineman slash tight end. And let me find his measurables here. Bryce. See, he's on the spring run. He's listed at 6'4", 287. So it makes me wonder how much weight 
if he's gained weight since he was at New Mexico State playing tight end or if he was playing tight end at that size. That's kind of nuts. But anyways, I don't know if this guy's going to be a factor at all. Or you're going to know about him, but I just that he was a name that I was a, curious about. He had to have been a walk-on at New Mexico State because he he played in 12 games for New Mexico State last season. And if he's... So I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if he'd be eligible this upcoming year unless... Yeah. Well, so. we're seeing a lot of players get immediate eligibility for seemingly True. no reason. Which True. We'll, talk, we'll talk about that actually later in the show. So that's all I have on the offensive line. Let's see what else we have here. Um, we talked about Creed Humphrey. Okay. Any any other thing on the offensive line for you? Or if not, we'll move on to any other offensive notes that you have. Not really. I mean, like I said, I just I want them to stay healthy. And it's it sucks that Eric Swinson is already down for the spring. He's a guy who is... Well, I mean, he'll be back after spring break, so he's, yeah. his oh, injury's oh, it, not... He's going to be back after spring break, it says. After spring okay. break. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. I did, yeah, I, yeah, so it, it doesn't okay. seem very serious. Okay, so that's good. All right, the only other offensive note that I had, and I don't know how much we have to talk about this at all, and we'll have plenty of time to discuss this at a later date, but just thinking, because Braden Willis talked to the media last week, and he's a guy that we know he's switching positions now to H-back, and so it's Braden Willis and Jeremiah Hall, and I'm just kind of excited about Willis's athleticism and his size at 6'3", 240, but don't shortchange Hall either. He's kind of similar to that. He's listed at 6'2", 245, so both of them are basically the same size, just an inch apart. And Hall, of course, had a lot of experience. Not a lot. He had he had okay, decent amount of experience last year backing up Carson Meyer. And the H-back position is just so important to this Oklahoma offense that I'm just curious to see if one of these guys is the feature player like Dimitri Flowers was and Carson Meyer was, or if they're both pretty good and Lincoln Riley likes them and tries to find ways to utilize them each quite a bit during the, during the offense or when they're taking snaps. So if you have any thoughts on these two players, go for it. If not, we can move on to the next thing. Jeremiah Hall made one of the more uh, underrated plays of last season at Texas Tech. Do you remember that play, Lee? Of course I do. And I'll, you, I'll let you talk about Hall in a second. But I know I teased this like a month ago on the podcast that in the coming weeks I was going to put out some videos and do some things on Kyler Murray, and I've been delaying that. But the point is that play is part of this project I'm working on that's taking me a lot longer than I thought. So, yes, I do remember that vividly. vividly. Okay, cool. So um, I don't have a lot of a lot of thoughts on this just because we don't really have any new information um, from when we talked about it last week. But you know, hey, I'm I'm a Braden Willis fanboy. I, I think he has he has the potential to be a a game breaking uh, player for this offense. Um, so I I will shamelessly the entire spring and fall practice. I'm rooting for Braden Willis to win this job because I think he has the potential uh, to be a really explosive player. Uh, for the offense and and maybe provide a little bit of an angle that we certainly have not seen uh, from that H back position because I, I just look at his tape I think he's a I think he's a bigger more athletic version than Flowers. The only other piece of info from Braden Willis he talked like I said last week at the media availability I was able to go back and you know once I didn't get a chance to go but um, I checked our tape and what he said and the only thing worth note. He talked about how that he's hoping to get into touch more with Dimitri Flowers to ask for advice on the H-back position. And he said that Oklahoma, and this is not going to be a surprise to anybody, he says that Oklahoma uses Flowers quite a bit as an example of what to do at that H-back position. So I'm sure they put on the tape of Flowers quite a bit to show off, I mean, Carson Meyer last year and now Jeremiah Hall and Braden Willis. So that's yeah. the only piece of his availability that I found kind of interesting. Sure. 
Sure. And, you know, I'm not I'm not treating this like a sure thing or anything like that. You never know. He could step into that meeting room and uh, the concepts and everything are just completely passing by and he just can never pick it up. Uh, but I, I think if he's able to pick this up and he's able to learn the intricacies of that position, I think this is a guy who can be a real big time player for the Sooners uh, going forward. All right, let's move on to the Oklahoma defense and not a whole lot this week. On it, we talked a lot about the defense, of course, on last week's podcast. Had a lot of sound from Alex Grinch and a couple of the players. Today, I want to talk about the nickelback position specifically, and we're going to go to James Hale, get, give him a, an assist here, because he has some notes on that position right now on the Brainiacs website, and it's up there for free. It's, it's um, one of their open posts, so I encourage you to go to that website if, if you, uh, you know, also the Sooner Scoop guys always have stuff. Anyways, like... I was reading that, and so you know, Nickelback's been a position that we talk about quite a bit on this podcast, and it was interesting to hear his notes because I know that James is plugged in and he he gets information and it's sourced from practice, and he does a really nice job. So here's what he reported in that post. He reported that Trey Norwood is out in front right now ahead of Buki, Chance Sylvie, and Jamal Morris, who I believe you mentioned when we were talking in-depth about the safeties. He's a, one of the true freshmen that's in early. And uh, I will make the you know, point out that at the end of his pa- uh, passage, Hale makes a note that Robert Barnes could be a factor at the nickelback position once he is back from injury. So here's what I want to say about this. You know, I've always kind of looked at the nickel position, Grant, as an extra safety on the field as opposed to an extra cornerback on the field. And just curious on what your thoughts are when you think about the nickelback. Do you look at the nickelback more as a safety or more as a corner? Corner. Uh, kind of the more traditional or what is turning into more the traditional NFL role for the nickelback, which is basically a third corner who is there to mm-hmm. to, to cover the slot guy man to man. Yeah, what that's I, yeah, yeah, that's true, hundred percent true. That's especially the NFL, as you mentioned. I was just and looking I, back and yep. Mm-hmm. And Go I ahead. just think in the Big Twelve, that is probably what you, you want your nickel to be more so than kind of like a hybrid linebacker. Um, I want a guy who can cover. I, I think that's by far the most important uh, aspect of the nickel. And so, um, yeah, you know, I, I hear Trey Norwood there, and that's you know, I, I'm they could do a whole lot worse. I, I think in that position. I don't think he's going to provide anything that you're looking for like in a hybrid linebacker. Uh, in fact, I would say Trey Norwood is probably, um, if you need to make a tackle, Trey Norwood's probably the last guy on the roster you want making a tackle. Uh, but, you know, he, he's, he's shown an ability to cover, and, you know, we saw he had some success shadowing you know, LJ Humphrey in the Big 12 championship game as well from the safety position. But I don't know. I, you know what? I almost want to just completely reserve any sort of judgment for these positions or anything like that until we actually know for sure what it's going to look like. Because I read some of this stuff and I, I don't, I mean, I, I just don't like it. I, I don't, I don't love a lot of the stuff I hear coming out of this right now. And so I, I, I don't want to say something stupid or say something emotional that's going to make me look dumb in the future because I just, uh, what's happening right now, I just, from what we know about the guys on this roster, I don't. I don't really like any of those guys at that position that that you mentioned. So, um, hmm. I, I I fully realize I'm not Alex Grinch, and I'm you know not paid millions of dollars to be a college defensive coordinator though. So, um, well, I don't mind it at all. I you know I, I think right now we're getting mixed signals in a way from Alex Grinch on what he's looking for in Nickelback, and here's what I mean by that. If that's true, and Trey Norwood is the the presumed starter right now in mid to late March. 
okay, he's a corner. Trey Norwood's a cornerback, and he's, it tells me, okay, Alex Grinch wants a guy that's able to cover, cover well, which is a very important part of playing nickel. And, of course, Trey Norwood has some experience now. He has, you know, one full year plus, you know, a half a year in 2017. So you have this experienced corner right now leading the way. And then the next guy mentioned was Buki, who – Played safety last year at Oklahoma, played the nickel position and also a little strong safety for Mike Stoops for the most part. But also we know that he played corner in high school and he was very good at that. So you have that cornerback mix right there. But then you look back at Washington State's defense under Alex Grinch and Grinch liked to use traditional safeties at that nickelback position. I went back and looked in 2016. He had a traditional safety there. In 2017, he had a guy that played safety there as well, playing his nickelback position. So that's kind of what led me to think that he's looking for more of a safety to play that, which is more of why I was confident about Robert Barnes potentially being that kind of player because I know that he can come up and play that that linebacker type position like a strong like a nickelback is supposed to do. And I know that we're not sure about his coverage skills, but that's something I think that if he gets more and more work, you know, maybe he can be better. I will say, though, that I am less confident, though, in my my Robert Barnes pick. I mean, one, because, again, I mentioned this, I think, last time you know, we found out he's out for the spring with an injury. We didn't I didn't know that when I was talking about Robert Barnes initially. I didn't know he didn't know he'd be out and missing all this time. So that's going to hinder his development. And then also too, kind of like you said a few episodes ago, Grant, that you're just not sure if he can cover very well. I'm optimistic that he can learn to be better. Uh, but we know Trey Norwood's a good cover guy. And so Norwood's a player that we know can cover. But like you said, too, a moment ago, I'm not so sure that Norwood can be a player at Nickelback that can come into the box and essentially play a Sam linebacker role. Uh, I, I don't see that at all from him. So this is kind of a weird position right now that we're kind of getting some mixed signals. And I know that we don't see practice every day, but this is the report we have. And I have no reason not to believe what uh, Hale is reporting because he's a good reporter and he's, he's right on all this stuff for the most part. or Not, not for the most part, but normally, as, as far as I know, he's right. I'm curious as to how realistic Chance Sylvie being in that role is. Um, we have We have sort of kind of discussed Sylvie a little bit um, in the offseason, but not a ton. Obviously a guy that I think a lot of people forget about because he he tore his Achilles, I think, in spring ball last year. Um, but before that, he was kind of... Uh, he, he he played a lot in 2017. He was a guy who, who saw uh, quite a bit of action. So And I thought Sylvie was going to be a starter in 2018 a season ago, and we never, he never got a chance to because he got yeah. injured so early. So, um, and you know what? We, ju- we just haven't seen Sylvie in a long time, so I, I would like to see... Um, how he does in that role, that's something that I am certainly open to. But at the same time, you know, I just, it's so hard to tell because I, I, I'm still not exactly sure what Grinch wants out of his nickel back playing in the Big 12, playing at Oklahoma. But I mean, just from what I know right now, I just, Norwood and, and, and Buki there, I, I'm not a fan of it. And obviously, I just, him throwing out Robert Barnes is maybe a possibility, gives me the heebie jeebies. I just don't think that's a good idea. Um, so we'll see. Like, like I said, you know, I, I, I'm curious to see how, how chance Sylvie picks that up. Uh, but still, I mean, I, Parnell Motley is still the guy I specifically have in mind for the, for this role. So let's say that this is what happens. It plays out that way. Trey Norwood's just the best nickelback. Grinch likes him a lot. We get to week one and he's a nickelback. 
presumably that would mean that the two corners are going to be Parnell Motley and Trey Brown, right? I mean, yeah. I don't know who else it would be like, unless they get beat out. Yeah, and unless... Lot, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of depth at, at this you know corner and safety spot. Yeah, and at the same time, we still don't know if there's going to be a reshuffling of positions and whatnot. Yeah. We, we, we don't know if that's going to happen. And actually, you know, we don't... Now that I think back, we don't really have any evidence that that will happen, I guess, yet. So it's still all speculation. Um, I still don't think we're going to hear a whole lot out of the defense from the spring. I think a lot of it is is probably going to be secret. You know, Lincoln Riley has, has kind of built this culture of of, uh, of just sort of being very anonymous and, and trying to keep everything close to the vest and um, something that's certainly frustrating for fans, but I can understand why, why he would want to do that. But, um, geez, man, I don't know. I, I, it's, I, I'm a little disappointed that there's, there's this much frustration and, and confusion kind of coming out of of the defense so far, but also my, my well, the logical side of my brain and confusion on your part. Exactly. The logical side of my Not brain is saying their I, part. Exactly. So it's, this is, this is, I, I suppose me just being emotional as a fan, being frustrated that there's just not a lot of crystallized information. Yeah. And I remember Alex Grinch first day of spring ball or not the first day, but uh, the first time we could talk to him since the opening presser, he made a point, you know, asking about timetable and position changes best case scenario is that he gets players in the position that he wants them to be as soon as possible because at that point they can start learning that position and fine-tuning their skills and getting better so the longer that we get into spring practice and into the summertime obviously and people are at one spot the likelihood of them changing positions is you know smaller and smaller so if there's going to be position changes you'd think that Alex Grinch wants them to happen as soon as possible and which basically is right now and so we'll 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 see I mean we'll have more media availabilities after spring break leading up to the spring game we'll probably learn more about who's running where and who's playing what and then of course we'll see who's playing where on April 13th I grant want to talk about pro day sure (laughs) that's all we have on the current Sooners so I know that most people listen to this pod when they hear about the current guys, and so hopefully you know, we gave you about a half an hour of current Oklahoma spring practice type stuff. Now let's talk about Pro Day. And I know some of these guys, you guys are all still interested in following and watching along the way, especially Kyler Murray. And then after that, we'll talk about other stuff too. Um, actually, after, after Pro Day, let's talk about Tate Martell. We'll do Tate Martell after Pro Day. If you're curious to hear us talk about that, Grant brought this up to me actually before the podcast pretty close, so I don't – I haven't thought too much about this, but it is an interesting topic considering that Tate Martell on Tuesday was granted immediate eligibility at Miami. But before we get to that, let's do Kyler Murray. Grant, aside from Murray, did anybody have any noteworthy performances that you're aware of, or did you even pay attention to Pro Day last week? Do you even I, care? Yeah, I mean, I, I paid attention to it. Um, <laughs> okay. I The more it kind of went on the less I did pay attention to it because it became increasingly clear that not a whole lot of news was going to come from it um but I I guess based off all the reports I read and it, it seems like outside of Kyler Murray who was the big winner of the day the two biggest winners were Curtis Bolton who I'm not even sure is going to get drafted and Charleston Rambo who is on the roster currently so because <laughs> he was part of Murray's yeah throwing uh exercise basically yeah other than that um, the amount of news that came from Pro Day was it was pretty much nil, nothing, nothing happened. The only thing uh, I think that was confirmed was that Kyler Murray is an exceptionally talented thrower of the football, and that's 
pretty much Especially all that was. Especially when he's in his shorts and a shirt and he's yeah. going up against the air. I mean, yes, he's really no good kidding. at that, as most quarterbacks at that level are, but maybe not quite as good as Kyler Murray. You mentioned Curtis Bolton. Couple numbers on him. He did have a nice day. Thirty-eight inch vertical for Bolton. That would have been tied for fifth at the NFL Combine. He ran a four-five-three forty, which is pretty good. That would have been seventh at the Combine out of all the linebackers. He uh, nine foot eleven inch broad jump. That had been top fifteen. And bench press was okay. He had seventeen bench press reps. That would not have been anywhere near the top of the Combine. Uh, you know, Curtis Bolton's a not a big bulky guy that's going to throw up 30 bench press reps. It's just not the kind of player he is. So, yeah, he had a nice day. But like you said, uh, he's not going to get drafted. I'm sorry. I can't imagine Curtis Bolton will be a player getting drafted. He'll have to win a job. He'll get an opportunity, hopefully, as an undrafted free agent at some point. I just don't, especially coming out of Oklahoma where they're just knocked for not having any defense at OU. I don't know why a team would, would use a draft pick on him. So, I'd be incredibly shocked if he got drafted. But Grant, a guy that I think could get drafted is Amani Bledsoe off that defense. What do I you think, think he, about Bledsoe? I think he could get drafted, yeah. Um, and I didn't really see any of his numbers. Um, the Sooner Scoop guys had made a comment that he had a pretty nice day. but 25 bench press reps. I was watching it back on the OU official website because they had the entire pro day coverage archived on their site so good on them for that so I went back and watched a little bit of it and I saw Bledsoe's bench press reps and they had Teddy Lehman and Gabe Eichard kind of commenting on it and uh, I think it was Lehman uh, it was one of the two guys who kind of knocked Bledsoe a bit during his bench press saying that if he was at the combine they wouldn't have been counting his reps because he wasn't going all the way up to the top and locking his arms but either way he did get 25 so that's pretty good and his 40 time was 491 so a sub 540 for a D lineman's pretty good that would have been tied for 6th at the NFL combine for a defensive lineman so Bledsoe's a good athlete uh, his broad jump wasn't very good he can't jump very high but that's okay uh, I will say the website Walter Football which is an okay website it does project Bledsoe Grant in the 4 to 6 round range 4th to 6th round so he's got a good chance of getting drafted I think yeah, and that that four nine one forty for him is pretty impressive. Um, and and Amani Bledsoe has always been a guy who's who's been who's been an athletic guy. Um, he's a big guy, so he had a, he had a pretty nice second half to the season as well. I, I thought he he kind of came on and, and was was pretty impactful and had a had had a pretty darn good season. And really, for the most part, uh, a lot of guys on along that defensive line had had pretty nice seasons last year. You know who had a slightly better 40 time than Amani Bledsoe and is probably a little bit thicker than uh, Amani Bledsoe that Oklahoma played against in the last game of the year. Did you see that? Um, in the Was it Quinn and Williams? Yeah, Quinn and Williams. He ran a 4.83. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of an a interior D, yeah. interior D lineman running a 4.83. That's uh, pretty good. Yeah, he's... That that's I, I yeah I've words kind of escape me when it when I dis, describing Quinn and Williams the guy just is nobody nobody that size should be that athletic and that like bouncy it's it's crazy. <laughs> I got a couple nuggets from the uh, media availabilities from I almost said Lincoln Rally from Marquise Brown and Rodney Anderson because they both were at pro day but didn't do anything because both of them are. Well, one, Brown's injured and, and, and rehabbing, and so is Rodney Anderson. We'll start with Marquise Brown, Grant. Uh, found out that he weighs right now 169, 
So he's still pretty light, but I guess coming into OU, he was like around 140, 144. So he's put on 25 pounds, uh, hopefully, presumably a muscle because, I mean, he's not a big guy at all. So I'm sure it's 25 pounds of muscle for the most part, which is incredible. I, I can't know if it's 25, but maybe 10, 15 or whatever. Uh, Marquise Brown, 169. Uh, then they kind of asked some questions about the Orange Bowl, which he's talked about this a couple times, but he made a point to say, Brown did that at first he wasn't sure he didn't know that it was a list Frank injury and that it was hurting him pretty bad that there's a lot of pain there he didn't know it was list Frank um, and he said that NFL team scouts right now they're not they're not telling him anything that groundbreaking they're just saying hey get healthy take your time make sure that you're good to go and um, you know don't rush it <clears throat> don't rush it which is, of course, that's not surprising at all. And the last note on Marquise Brown is that he said he plans to go to the draft in Nashville. So that would kind of tell me that he thinks he's going to be a pretty high draft pick. Yeah, and I don't know. I, I'm not really sure what to make of it yet. If if you had to put a gun to my head right now, I'd say he's probably not going to be a first-round draft pick. Um, just kind of based off the temperature of scouts and what that I've read and mock drafts that I've read as well. It seems like a majority of them have him falling out of the first, but I, I still see a handful that have him in the first as well. Um, I think, I think healthy, I think he's absolutely a first round pick. Um, but also, I mean, there's been, I think there's history of people kind of struggling to come back from that list. Frank injury though. Hmm. Okay. Uh, by the way, we're going to talk Kyler Murray in a moment. We haven't forgotten about him. I just wanted to, I just realized I didn't, say that hey at the end we're going to talk Kyler Murray in case you care but uh yeah I, he'll be a first or second round pick um I can see some teams in the first round looking at him and yeah I'm not so sure about that list Frank I haven't done any research on it so yeah I'm not so sure about the the history of that injury as far as recovering and being healthy I can see some teams looking at him and thinking this could be kind of like another Tyreek Hill and or Deshaun wanna, Jackson or okay sure or just I mean I just uh, yeah Tyreek Hill's a little more recent, but yeah. And I think in, uh, in 2019's NFL, uh, you know, Tyreek Hill, Deshaun Jackson clone is, I think, is absolutely worth a first-round pick. Yeah. So he's a really fun player to watch, and obviously we all wish him the best. He He's a hard worker, and hopefully his foot gets healed up, and he's running routes and looking good. Actually, before we move on to Rodney Anderson, I do want to mention that on the West of Everest Facebook page, we've got a – Hot take from Nathan saying that Nathan believes the Browns are going to pick up Marquise Brown in the second round. So that would be certainly something if uh, the Browns add Marquise Brown, although I'm not so sure they need to really add a receiver that high anymore. They might need to use the high, higher, you know, higher draft picks on other positions because the Browns all of a sudden have pretty good receiving core uh, coming yeah, back. And, but. and yeah, I, I would... and. You would think that Marquise Brown is probably going to spend a lot of time in the slot in the NFL, and um, that is that's Jarvis Landry's kind of natural position is as a slot receiver. So, um, yeah. Although Marquise Brown did move around the formation everywhere, he was so he's yeah. A, but I mean, yeah, he's the short guy. I mean, you don't yeah. He see was a primarily an outside guy at OU, but you know, he he does move around. But yeah, um, you don't see players like his size playing on the outside. I mean, Antonio Brown is not the tallest guy and he's able to play outside but you know same with Odell Beckham Odell Beckham is only five foot eleven Antonio Brown I think is right around there too five five nine five ten kind of around the same height as Marquise Brown and obviously that what are they cousins I believe so they know each other and their family uh 
but anyway, so that, yeah, he's a very versatile receiver. I think I remember hearing Greg Cosell. I think he might have had a blurb or a, a note on Marquise Brown and, and kind of liked his game. I, I could be totally making that up off the top of my head. I'll have to double check that. Yeah, I don't. I, yeah, I, I really don't know how you watch Marquise Brown and don't instantly just think Tyreek Hill. I mean, they're they're very similar players. I'm so and Ty, yeah. Ty, as a guy, you know, it's a fan of a team who has gone up against Tyreek Hill numerous times over the last couple of years, he's an absolutely terrifying guy to play against. And I think that's that's pretty much Marquise Brown, um, you know, to his to the most logical like conclusion. Rodney Anderson, he was there. Uh, you know, we haven't heard much from Rodney, obviously injured in week two and once again, rehabbing an injury, this time a torn ACL. And it's just a player that, gosh, you know, what could have been? It would have been nice to see him obviously play a full season yet again at Oklahoma. The, the one part of his media availability at Pro Day that I found interesting is that he was asked about the injuries, as you might expect, and Rodney said that he thinks the the term you know to be labeled injury-prone is inappropriate with him because all three of his injuries were separate injuries. They weren't you know re-injuring something. They were just – and I'm using – I'm going to quote him. He said that it's three, quote, weird injuries that aren't related at all. And he said that his mom told him that bad things happen in threes, so Anderson feels like he's done getting injured now. I thought that was a pretty good line. I wonder if there's ever been any sort of like studies uh, that have been done to look at um, how injury prone someone is, and if there's any sort of like correlation between. Because like it's weird. You say he, Rodney Anderson says, you know, these are all three injuries that have not been related to each other whatsoever, but yet they still happened. So what is it? What is it about him that makes these freak injuries that statistically shouldn't happen to any other people? What makes it happen to him? I think that's a fair question to ask. And that's why yeah. I'm asking. Like you know, why you know has there been any sort of studies saying is is injury proneness is that actually a thing or is there something genetically or something with the makeup of people's bodies that make them more prone to injuries? I have no idea. So that's why I'm. Um, well, I'm certainly somebody who believes in. In that, I think some people are just more susceptible to getting injured than others. And I don't know if it's just bad luck or if it's just maybe the way certain people play or their body moves. And uh, I, I mean, I think some people are just really good at not getting injured, just knowing how to avoid injury, staying away from risks. And I know it might sound crazy in the NFL. And, and granted, I know that in football, you're always going to get everyone's getting injured in some way, shape or form. It's just avoding the serious injuries that, well, pretty, that you know, keep you out year to year. Pretty tough to tell Rodney that when, you know, he just tore his ACL not on a non-contact injury. Not really. I mean, I don't know how you can be. How can you be good at not getting injured if it's a non if you're just making a regular cut? And you no, tear I know. Your ACL? And I was going to. Yeah, I was going to bring that up too. that one really bothered me because you watch it. And it looks like a normal play. I mean, it, you just think, where did he injure his knee there? I mean, it looked like he was just running the ball and he got tackled normally. And all of a sudden, his ACL is torn. That, that's not a good sign, uh, unfortunately. Uh, it, to me, you know, will he get drafted? I think he'll get drafted late just because of his injury history. He's a, we talked about this before. He's a first-round talent. It's just he has tons of question marks because of his injury history. I would love to see... The Bears take a you know if they still if he's still available in like the fifth round, I'd love to see the Bears draft him starting in the fifth round or maybe even the fourth round because I think that you know that late in the draft, it's worth the risk and to keep this guy healthy, and he's 
again, he's a first-round running back, and I think he's better than – I mean, he's definitely better than Jordan Howard, who's currently on the Bears roster. And this is me talking because I'm, I'm a Bears fan. And, I, you know, obviously he's a different kind of player than Tariq Cohen, but uh, he's – He's a really good player when healthy, but that's a huge asterisk with healthy when healthy. So that's my spiel to any of the Bears front office listening. Hey, if he's there in the fifth round or maybe in the fourth round, draft Rodney Anderson. He's a really good player. I just, um, yeah, and, and the, the human side of me, just I, I really want to see a healthy Rodney Anderson play football again because uh, he's a, when he is 100%, he is a, he's a special player. I, I mean, I don't think um, he's a guy who, in 2017, when he was 100%, he was every bit as good as Joe Mixon when he was here. Um, maybe every bit as valuable, even as someone like Adrian Peterson or DeMarco Murray when they were here. He was that good. So um, it'd be really cool to see him healthy again, and I hope he gets that shot. Only other guy I want to touch on pro day-wise before Kyler, Cody Ford. We, we know at the combine he had 19 bench press reps, and we all thought, that eh, seems kind of low for Cody Ford, a big hulking human like that. At Pro Day, he upped it by one. He had 20 bench press reps. So he's a guy that just bench press is not his thing, really, compar- comparatively. Obviously, you know, 20 bench press reps at, at 225, it's nothing to sneeze at. Uh, I mentioned that I was watching that Sooner Sports broadcast of it, and Gabe Eicher made a point to say that to him, for offensive linemen, 20 bench press reps is kind of the, the goal. I mean, if you can get to 20, he, th- he said that yeah, that's fine. Like, obviously, you do more than that, great. But in Gabe Eichard's opinion, it, you know, you get to 20 and you're good, whatever that means. So, And we know that Cody Ford is a really good player. And we know that Orlando Brown's bench press reps weren't very high at all last year. And he, he's going to be a really nice NFL player. He had a nice rookie season. So I'd like to talk to an, to an NFL scout. And just 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 to ask a question about so when a scout sees that Cody Ford only had 19 and 20 bench press reps, how do you rectify that with his film when you see him physically manhandling other grown men? How like how how do you how do you explain that as, as a as a scout? What do you what do you put more weight to? Like those are questions I would really like the answer to. I think that's an interesting conversation to have. Yeah, because like because obviously I think bench press is is what we just sort of automatically associate with just raw strength. Right. And I can I can assure you when I look at Cody Ford's film, all I see is raw strength. So um, I think that's just kind of an an interesting distinction. Meanness. Exactly. Yeah. So I I would I'd be interested to, to hear a scout kind of describe exactly what they're looking for, you know, with those two factors. Right, let's talk about Kyler Murray briefly. I don't know how much we have to say about him. We all know Kyler's really good. Uh, I, the big news of the day is that he only threw. He did say at the NFL Combine that he was going to do it all at the Pro Day. So something changed between late February to mid-March. Somebody, you know, his agents, whatever, decided that eh, he didn't need to run. Uh, he didn't get measured again. Uh, he did get weighed again. I guess he was 205, and at the Combine he was 207. So... You know, I don't know how much we have to say about this, but Grant, there's still people out there thinking that maybe he's not as tall as the combine says he is, and that's just boring to me because, like, why would the combine have a wrong height? I mean, like, there's all these people that are measuring him. I mean, and Lincoln Riley made a point at the at his pro day presser saying that the shortest you'll ever be is at the NFL Combine, meaning that 
they're going to get that right on the nose. They're not going to fake it. They're whatever you are, you are. And he he was what five ten and an eighth at the combine. It's like okay, he's and he's five ten and eighth. But really, who cares? I mean, he's just really good quarterback. So I don't know if you have anything on that. But you know, people that are like like legitimately thinking that maybe he's not that tall. It's like based on what and why do you feel that way? Do you have any thoughts on that? I mean. Only I just I don't conspiracy theorists just sort of bug me is would be the I mean, only Kyler was asked about that at the at pro day and so was Lincoln Riley so there's questions about you know and to be fair him not getting measured I guess kind of makes people like oh why didn't you get measured then again okay I mean Lincoln Riley said that nobody else got measured that was just their policy if they I guess get I don't at the combine they don't they don't do it at pro day I suppose the thing I struggle with is I don't understand kind of like. What is what's firing in the synapses of your brain in those instances to think to yourself, "Hey, Kyler Murray actually did get what you get get measured in at five ten and one eighth or whatever." No, I don't believe that. I want it to be measured again. Like, why do you even care? <laughs> yeah. Like, who cares? It's just to me. To me, it's an odd thing to even think about. Yeah, and then the other one is the fact that he didn't run the forty yard dash. And I was this is exactly hoping. what I said too. This is what I've been saying for a month as well that he wouldn't run the forty. And I was say there's no reason to. <laughs> they did the same thing that Lamar Jackson did last year, didn't run. And the reasoning behind that was uh, Lincoln Riley talked. To, I think Kyler did too a little bit, but he's like uh, he didn't want to risk him running and then potentially you know tweaking something or pulling something before he threw. And look at the tape. He's fast. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad. Yeah, I, I'm glad Kyler even just kind of verbatim said that. He basically said, look at the tape. I'm really fast. <laughs> uh, like, it's, yeah, I, 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 there was just, there's no reason for him to run the 40. The only reason people are slightly upset about it is because of just for their own curiosity. That's it. Yeah. yeah. That's all. That's it. Yeah, I would like to see him run. I'd like to see him race Marquise Brown. I saw on Twitter today that Marquise Brown and Kyler had a thing like an OU exclusive thing where they were talking about running the 40 and stuff and kyler was like oh yeah i'd i'd beat marquise by like three steps and marquise came over and they're john and stuff and murray and you can look up on twitter on oklahoma's football tweet uh, uh, twitter account and kyler says something like oh yeah like hey you know after the season's over with or whenever you're fully healthy you know, let's do it let's let's do it so i mean whatever we'll see i mean it's that's fun to see or hear, both of but, them are 100 yeah, yeah. healthy put me in marquise brown's camp i think he would win I will take Kyler. That's the thing. That's that's why it's fun. I, but you know, whatever. It's just yeah. I think that you made a good point. It's mainly for our like we are met, and I'm saying we in terms of like the public and like Pe the scouts. People who are disappointed or upset about it are disappointed and upset for their own emotional and personal reasons. That is it. I almost pulled a clip from one of the podcasts I listened to that I've mentioned before on this show from John Middlecoff, and he's. Okay, and he had kind of a a ridiculous theory about it that didn't have time to pull, but he didn't like the fact that he didn't run, and the reasoning is because he thinks that he's put on all this weight to bulk up to look like he's heavier, but in the games, he's probably playing around, you know, 185, 180, you know, so he knows, Kyler knows that he's not going to run as fast as he would in the game because he's put on about 10 or 15 extra pounds to bulk up for the combine. And sorry, and all this does is just, is just confirm to me what, kind of what a farce this entire process is <laughs> like because what is is that is that what is gonna in that guy's mind should that be the determining factor whether or not he's the number one pick no and to, to be fair i mean i know i'm 
painting him as kind of a kook, but I mean, he likes he thinks Kyler's gonna be number one, the first pick. He's really good, so I mean, he likes him as a player. It's just it's it's like a side thing of like why he thinks he's not gonna run because he's guessing that Kyler knows he's not gonna run as 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 well as he would if you know he was in the middle of the season. So you know, whatever. Uh, I mean, at this point, Grant, everyone pretty much assuming he's going number one at this point. I I'll I be really disappointed if he isn't. I'm already f- all in on. On the Kyler Murray, Cliff Kingsbury thing. I mean, that is just that would be so good for the NFL. That needs to happen. It would be, it would be just really disappointing for the upcoming season in the NFL if he's not in Arizona. I mean, that is just a match made in heaven. I think. Say what you texted me like a week ago about Kyler and the football season in 2019, and what you're thinking as far as oh you know, yeah, if he goes to Arizona. You know what? What sure? What did you text me? No, it was more of just it was more of me just uh, and actually I texted you this after the the OBJ to Browns trade, um, but yeah, I mean the, this upcoming season, this is kind of what we're looking at, looking at Baker Mayfield with the Browns and maybe a Browns offense that has the best collection of weapons in the entire NFL, and you also have a, a Kyler Murray uh, led Arizona team that's coached by Cliff Kingsbury, and basically my point was. That has the recipe for, I mean, if, if you're watching Red Zone every single Sunday, that is the recipe to be maybe the most entertaining NFL season I've ever seen. And, and what um, makes it interesting, too, or even more interesting, is that if Kyler does go to Arizona, you got a lot of late afternoon kickoffs for Kyler. So in the early set, you probably got Mayfield playing. And then in the late afternoon kickoffs, you probably got a lot of Kyler playing. So you won't miss a whole lot. Even though in the point of the Red Zone is that you don't miss anything. They show everything. And not to mention that you're going to get a lot of Browns games in primetime this year, too. So I saw, and are we, is it, is it time to talk about that trade now? Can we actually, no, we got to talk about Tate Martell first. Okay, never mind. I'll, 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 uh, I'll say what I was going to say once we, once we oh, move yeah. on to the OBJ trade. Yeah, table that, table that. Let's get into Tate Martell. That's, that's all I have for Pro Day. I know Tate Martell obviously doesn't play for OU. This isn't, this is a college football story. And so if you're interested in just college football at, at you know, which I'm sure you are if you're listening to this podcast. You love college football like we do. Grant, you brought this up to me, so I'll let you kind of set the table for this. Tate Martell has been immediate has been given immediate eligibility at Miami, I guess, right? Yes. Yes. So it, that is that the story then, basically? No. Okay. So um, no, I, I don't. I don't care about Tate Martell. I mean, this this probably does make well, yeah. Yeah, th- this makes Miami, I'm sure, better for 2019, you know, right away. But this this is not why this story is important. The story is important, Lee, because Tate Martell um, has been in college for less than a year. Um, he was a true freshman at Ohio State this past season. Uh, no, he's he, been there for two years. Oh, because he was a redshirt freshman this year? Okay, thank you for correcting me. Um, I was under the impression he was in the same class as, as Justin Fields. Nope. Um Anywho, well, no, Tate Martell was either the number one or number two quarterback in his class, which I believe was 2017, 2017 or 2016. OK, I'll look it okay. up right now. Um, anywho, so he was a redshirt freshman at Ohio State this season. And after Urban Meyer stepped down from Ohio State, um, he decided he was going to transfer. News came out he was transferring to Miami. And then for the last about month, a month and change, uh, the drama surrounding that is whether or not he was going to be given the waiver to play immediately. And I always thought this was kind of 
odd because I didn't, based off of everything I knew about transfers and years you have to sit out and whatnot and reasons you can transfer, I didn't think there was any possible way that Tate Martell would get a waiver to play early. Well, he did today. And presumably the only reason he got it is because Urban Meyer left. So that kind of opens up Pandora's box a little bit. It, it sets the precedent, Lee, that you can transfer from your school and not have to sit out a year if your head coach leaves. And I think that this might essentially uh, begin the free agency era of college football. Um, I could certainly see one of the uh, some of the fallout of this is basically any any sort of time any group of five team has a prominent NFL prospect, the transfer watch is almost going to start immediately on them, almost immediately. Um, I hope I hope that's not the case because I think that could really throw a wrench into college football. Um, but this, in my opinion, certainly opens up that possibility. So I don't know. What, what, what do you think about that? Okay, so you brought something up that I obviously I knew about, but you basically answered the question a bit because this entire time, and not a whole lot of time because you know, I found out about this an hour before the podcast started recording. I was trying to figure out, okay, why on earth would Tate Martell be granted a hardship waiver? Because what hardship has he endured? I don't understand. And so your theory is that it's because Urban Meyer left. His coach left. He's got a new coach now. Yes, unless there's unless there is some other hardship in there that, you know, that has not been that is not public knowledge, then yes, I think we I, we can only assume that that was the hardship. And so let's just back it up a little bit just for context of, you know, Tate Martell was at Ohio State. The re- only reason why he wanted to leave is because Justin Fields transferred from Georgia to Ohio State. Got recruited State. over. Yeah, and Justin Fields was granted immediate eligibility for a hardship waiver as well, and I believe that it was argued that since he would, when he was playing, was he playing baseball? Is he on the baseball team like Kyler? Did he do both sports? Or no, was he at a he baseball was, game. No, he was at a football game. And why do I? Why is baseball in my head for that? I could have sworn some more baseball because, story because it was a baseball player who did it, who who yelled out the oh. N word at him at the football game. Okay, so yeah, that's and so they argued that he that happened, and therefore. It, you know, it was not safe, or it was yeah, bad. Yeah, to be I, I, there. you know, they used I, that as the reasoning to get immediate eligibility yes. at Ohio State. Yes. So that was you know, obviously it's different than Tate Martell's. So, anyways, like it's interesting that you know that, and then Tate Martell goes, and now presumably the reasoning is because of Urban Meyer retiring, and so Tate Martell's coach is gone. So, hey, uh, yeah, that's interesting. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it sets up a, a precedent then because. Sure, yeah, like, like you're, I mean, you're right if that's the reason because a coach leaves, but how often do coaches leave? I mean, I know... Fairly regularly? I'd say at least, probably at, at least a quarter of all yeah. teams okay, at the end so, of the season. So it would open up the floodgates for for those players. And yeah, I suppose if there's another coach that gets, uh, yeah, I guess hired to the NFL and they happen to have a really good quarterback. Yeah, And also okay. too... Yeah, you I, could, mean, I could see that happening. You could even, you know... You, you could bring up the Justin Fields case as well um, as as something you can just kind of throw anything out there as a hardship um, to see and of, and of course there's there's obviously some racial components going into that that I don't I don't even want to begin to touch on um, but yeah right. I mean I, I think this opens up Pandora's box I, I I think I think mostly what it is 
is I think people are looking at it as the NCAA is basically accepting every single hardship waiver request is basically kind of what this looks like now kind of the new age of the NCAA keeps getting knocked so much for yes not you know not paying players therefore the NCAA is trying to find ways to maybe make it look like they're giving more power to the players in a way exactly um and so basically the the scenario that that worries me is if you have a guy like a Khalil Mack at Buffalo um who everyone knows is a monster NFL prospect um, what's go- in the future, what's going to stop someone like that from just going to Alabama for his senior year without sitting out a year or, 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 you know, pick school that is, that is one rush linebacker away from being a legit national title contender. That's my concern. Um, now this obviously is something that Oklahoma could certainly stand to benefit from if we're being honest. In fact, a lot of the time, Oklahoma is probably the type of school that would benefit from this, and it's the it's the mid majors, the group of fives, uh, that would be hurt the most by this. Um, I don't know. I, I just think it would it would really kind of have a unique ability to sort of upset the order of college football and, and how we know about it. I saw some tweets about it today where some people were even saying, "Well, you know, the Power Five schools might as well just start their own division." Um, I don't know if we need to overreact to that point yet. But um, I, I think this is, this is certainly something that could that could be interesting down the line. I don't think it's going to be I don't think you're all of a sudden going to see a mass exodus of NFL caliber prospects from group of five to the power five. This is likely going to be a slow kind of meandering thing. Um, but it's certainly possible that Justin Fields and Tate Martell just kind of set the precedent. Well, I don't know if it's sure if a coach leaves. Sure. But if there's no coach leaving, essentially what you'd have to do then is you'd, you'd have to, if, if nothing happens to you, you'd have to basically make up some sort of hardship. And essentially you're lying to the NCAA about what happened. And I'm not, I'm not saying, I mean, that's not what happened with, with Justin Fields. Obviously. Like, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying if the coach doesn't leave, the only way that the floodgates would open then is that if other players and, and their families decide if nothing happens to them and they want to get out, they just end up making things up. And okay. I don't know if people... Yeah, sorry that. if I wasn't clear. I, I also kind of put in there, too, that it's it's possible that the NCAA now with this is just going to be... is just going to just rubber stamp every hardship request. That was the... The point was, well, hey, if you get a hardship for your coach leaving, you can get a hardship for anything, is what the idea was. And so was. people might just be thinking, okay, let's just... Whatever. I'm just let's invent, invent hardships, some, is yes. basically what I'm saying. Okay. All right. Because... Um, because saying that it's a hardship that Urban Meyer left or because I got recruited over, that is a invented hardship. That is oh, not an okay. actual hardship. That was my point. Sorry if that wasn't clear. That, well, yeah, that... Ooh, we need to get better at that. Maybe it was assumed... I mean, I guess I was assumed... That's like I... To my point earlier, I was trying to figure out why he would get a hardship, and then you brought that up. And that, oh, yeah, okay. I, so I guess to your point... I didn't even think of that as a hardship uh, until you said something because like, that's not a hardship. Like, exactly. My my whole point <laughs> is is the fact that he got a hardship for Urban Meyer leaving Ohio State is ridiculous. It's absurd. Yeah. Uh, that, uh, that's what the uh, that's the theory of why he got it. Unless there's something that's not public, like you said earlier. You know, maybe there's something else that we just don't know about. But as of now, we don't know of anything. All the reports I've seen are just, hey, his hardship request was granted. He's going to be immediately eligible and not going into details of why it was granted. Sure. And, yeah, I'm I'm yeah. more concerned about uh, 
uh, let's say, you know, down the line, someone is, is saying, hey, man, you could be a first or second round NFL draft pick. But hey, you play at Toledo. And hey, but I hear Alabama might be kind of interested in you or Clemson might be kind of interested in you. What's to say he can't just say, hey, this particular thing at my school causes me crippling anxiety and it's a hardship that I mean, that can't be proved. That's that's an internal struggle. And therefore, your point, too, is that NCAA would be like, well, okay, well, rubber stamp. Sure. Exactly. We're not going to we can't say we can't say it's not a hardship. So interesting. Precisely. Okay. All right, well, let's spend the rest of the podcast just quickly going over this OBJ. Well, I say quickly. I don't know how much we're going to say. We, it's a podcast. We don't have any time limits. But now we're at the Beckham to the Browns thing. So, Grant, I know you wanted to say something earlier before we talked Tate Martell. So uh, just to recap, let's just say the trade out loud. I mean, everyone knows that Odell Beckham's to the Browns. But what did the Browns trade to get him? The Giants get the Browns' first-round pick this year, which is 17th overall. So – you could essentially look at that. Let's stop there. Basically, Odell Beckham, uh, the Browns, with their 17th overall pick this year, the Browns are essentially drafting Odell Beckham. So, okay. And aside from that, the Giants are getting the Browns' third-round pick, 95th overall. And actually, the Browns have an earlier third-round pick still. And also, the Giants are getting Jabril Peppers, who was a first-round pick in 2017, a late first-round pick. So, Grant, that trade to me is a great trade for the Browns. I mean, they did not give up that much at all, and they got one of the best wide receivers in the NFL at a pretty young age. I think he's 26, and I know they're going to have to pay him a decent amount, and I know that he's got some whatever, but totally worth it for me. Great trade for the Browns, and I think all this excitement, short of predicting the Browns to the Super Bowl, which I will admit is pretty crazy. But for the most part, the excitement surrounding this trade, I think, has been warranted. So I'll open the floor to you. Sure. Okay. And so last week when I was lobbying against the trade at first, I was doing that under the auspices of much different terms. And also I had my facts wrong as well. I was under the impression uh, that Odell Beckham was about to enter the last year of his rookie contract. That was not the case. Last summer, he was signed to the biggest wide receiver deal in, in history. So, um, like I, I, I predicted the Browns would have to do if they got Odell that was already done, uh, last summer. Um, so my big, uh, the, the big reason why I thought it was a bad move, it was from a value proposition. Now that the information has changed and I know that I had the information wrong, this from a value perspective is a very good trade for the Browns. Um, they only gave up two picks. At the time, a lot of the rumors were they're going to have to give up four picks, two in this year's draft and two in next year's draft. Um, that obviously did at not... least two first round picks. Yep, yep. That obviously did not happen, and so you know, unless unless the Brown or unless the Giants somehow draft their next franchise quarterback at pick number seventeen, I don't really see how they're how the Giants are going to be able to recoup the value from Odell Beckham, the lost value uh, with those picks. I, I think the Browns, from a value perspective, certainly won this one. And also, um, uh, so I think that that basically leaves, if you're still not feeling good about the deal, um, it's coming probably from an emotional standpoint. And so that's where I still haven't decided kind of where I land on it. Um, when I think about this, I think about one how is the locker room uh, going to react to this? Odell Beckham has 
let's just say it, the last couple of years, he, ha- he has certainly been a diva in New York. How much of that is because of the bright lights of New York and the media and whatnot? Who knows? I, I'm, I'm sure we're about to find out. How much of it is because of personal problems for Odell Beckham Jr.? Um, or how much of it is that he's just a diva? We're going to find out. We don't know. Um, so I am, I'm a little concerned um, about that because ever since this trade has happened, nobody has mentioned his, his tirades on the sideline uh, a couple seasons ago when he was like kicking uh, nets and stuff like that. I mean, some really odd behavior for an adult uh, on a sideline. Um, how is that, how is that going to play in the locker room? Um, and also I, I think you, and I, I certainly concede that this is an emotional argument, but this is this move to me just screams Browns. Um, they were 0-16 in 2017. In 2018, they finally taste a little bit, little bit of success for the first time in, in nearly two decades. And then all of a sudden, they think they're Super Bowl contenders and they start to go all in. I think, I think there's a lot of hubris there. And I, I find it uh, lacking in self-awareness just a little bit. And um, I would generally caution teams that want to skip steps to success in the NFL. Um, and that is building through the draft and, and building a good locker room um, and, and cautioning trading away players that maybe, that maybe had a big part in, in maybe recovering that culture that you had lost for so long or, or building that culture that led to seven wins for the first time in over a decade for Cleveland. I would caution to that. Um, and with that, I'm, I'm, I'm mentioning Joe Bo Peppers and, and Kevin Zeitler, two guys that they've traded, two of their best players from last year that they've, already, that they've traded now. So um, the Zeitler trade, that was also to the Giants, and that was to get Vernon Olivier? Uh, Olivier, yeah, Olivier Vernon. Or Olivier so, Vernon, oh, sorry. Um, but having that been said, in theory, if this works out and, o- and Odell Beckham is a model citizen and is a good teammate, there is no chance that the Browns don't have one of the best offenses in the NFL. I think that's fairly obvious. But it's, yeah, it, think, all, it, all hinges, it all hinges on, I, I think, the psyche of Odell Beckham Jr. And I think it all hinges on one Baker, Reagan, Mayfield. Because well, yeah. the psyche of Odell Beckham Jr. will essentially depend on Baker Mayfield. So, and yeah, it's, it's, it's going to come down that. to Baker saying, this is my locker room, and we'll see what happens. And here's the thing, I mean... Yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens, but Baker's already won that locker room. He's already done it, and Beckham knows that. Does he though? I, oh, we no. You, I, I don't. I don't think you can just throw that out there casually at all. You like, don't think Odell Beckham knows that everyone in that Browns locker room loves Baker Mayfield, and he's basically won them over. I mean, I think I think we have plenty and plenty of evidence over the last handful of years that Odell Beckham may not be the most self-aware human being on the planet. Okay, I mean, a lot of his stuff is just the immaturities during games on the sidelines. I know he he called his teammates out and he got fined for it last year. Sure, yeah, sounds that's... a whole hell of a lot like To to me. <laughs> and that guy, I well, mean, that, lot... that guy left that guy that that guy left locker rooms and flames everywhere he stopped. Yeah, I just tend to think a lot of it stems from being in New York City. I, I never heard of this guy, and granted, this is probably back because I, this is during the time when I didn't really watch as much college football as I do now but I never heard of the guy until he got to the NFL I didn't never heard of him in LSU Grant I mean was he when he was playing at LSU with Jarvis Landry 
No, Jarvis you Landry know much about? was no. I knew much more about Jarvis Landry. Um, it's it's hard to know about big time receivers in an offense that only throws it fifteen times a game. Well, I mean that was back though. I think they threw it a lot more than that though. When they had Mettenberger and they were actually that was like the one year right where LSU actually threw well, the ball around. I mean, yeah, comparatively, OBJ, and, OBJ yeah. and Jarvis Landry were there for more than one season. Yeah. I guess my point is, though, I mean, I don't know if he was like this at LSU. I think he didn't turn into this until, you know, he became this great player in, in New York and he was making, you know, that the iconic one handed catch. And, uh, you know, now he's going to get a fresh start and he's going to be playing with a quarterback that's not Eli Manning. And he's playing with a quarterback that has so much swagger and is able to, to do all this stuff. And I, I know they know each other. I mean, I know there's that picture out there that people like are tossing around with Mayfield, Landry and obj but i think they even they've known each other for at least a, a decent amount I, mean, I remember back in hard knocks when they played the giants in preseason i mean beckham went out of his way to go up to mayfield during pregame to chat him up and say hi and talk and so there's got to be some sort of mutual respect there so i think the the positives outweigh the negatives with this and basically for me it's just it's a it's kind of a blind you know it, it's certainly more of a blind faith but also a a knowing faith in Baker Mayfield because I think he's a guy that is just such an electric player and people just kind of flock to him and he did so much for that city and that I say that city that sounds kind of cliche but for that team in less than a year and I just don't see how how it can start going down I mean granted I, I I'm certainly afraid of the sophomore slump no doubt you got defensive coordinators and you got defenses that are going to be gunning for him and they're going to watch the tape and they're going to figure out his tendencies and he's going to have to work even harder this offseason and next season to, to keep improving but in college he had every single year in college at OU he had a better season than the last he had a really nice rookie season he has done the work he has improved and so there's no evidence that suggests that he's not going to continue to, to work hard and get better and better so as of now I think it's a great move and i I'm not that concerned about the Odell Beckham potential antics. I just don't think it's as of now. I'm just I'm not that worried about it. I think in my opinion, I think a lot of it probably stems from being in the spotlight in New York City and underachieving and having a, a really kind of boring offense and nothing that really gets him out of there and uh, to to win a lot of games. And I, I understand what you mean by skipping steps, but. I think the Browns saw opportunity here to get a, a massive piece and not give up a whole lot of things, and they still have some draft picks in this year's draft. I don't know really what kind of steps they're skipping aside from, like you brought up, potentially if Jabril Peppers and Zeitler were really good locker room guys. I know you got to build a team, so okay, I can see that being a potential problem if those guys were really good in the locker room. I don't know if they were. Maybe they were. Maybe they weren't. So I get that, but Aside from that, I don't really see them skipping any other steps. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm more talking about them going from one of the worst teams in the history of the NFL to a middle-of-the-road NFL team to now all of a sudden thinking that they are legitimately ready to win a Super Bowl. This is what this move signifies. They're trying to win a Super Bowl. Well, yeah, they're going all um, in. They have a and lot I, and of I'm just saying, players. Like they're, they're, it's, and why not? It's 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 just the height of hubris and, and like it's, it shows kind of a lack of self awareness to think that the Cleveland Browns are ready to win a Super Bowl. I, I just I think that's kind of silly. But isn't that the right whole now. point of the NFL? I mean, you want to win a title, and I mean, they have a lot of the pieces in place to make a run. And the only thing that that's the thing I don't that, they don't though. 
Like that's outside of you, all you're doing is just adding a really talented wide receiver. Like why? I, I don't. A wide receiver is certainly not the most valuable player in the NFL. Well, no, it's not. But I mean, I thought they had a lot of pieces last year too. To it's like, if I mean, they almost made the playoffs. If you're going to win a Super Bowl, a single wide receiver is not going to be the determining factor in that. It's just no. not. No, I agree. I agree. Uh, it's just they have. I mean, they they got the first step accomplished. I mean, they found a quarterback, and I know that you're 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 uh, have a lot more trepidation and a more of a wait and see approach when it comes to Baker Mayfield, and that's fine. I just he is so much better than so many other quarter like at this stage of his career that than other quarterbacks in the NFL that have become pretty good players that I just don't and he's done it in a consistent basis in college for all those years and then he did it in the NFL and and exceeded expectations I just don't see him all of a sudden turning into Dak Prescott or Jameis Winston because he's just he's so much better than those players his his quarterback skills are at such a high so much higher level than those guys there's a reason why Dak Prescott uh, Dak Prescott was a third round draft pick he's He's a he's an average quarterback. He 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 can't throw the ball where he wants to like Mayfield can. He can't read defenses like Mayfield can. He's not as smart as Mayfield is when it comes to playing the quarterback position. As far as uh, you know, going through his progressions and again, most importantly, putting the ball where he wants it to be. And not a lot of guys are. I mean, it's tough. It's really difficult. And I think Mayfield's only going to get better at that as he gets older because that's what people do when they work hard. I mean, granted, maybe he'll take a step back. Maybe he will actually. Maybe he won't work as hard. I don't know. But we haven't seen that from Baker Mayfield yet. And until it happens, I'm, I'm not going to doubt the guy. I think he's going be, gonna to be good again. I don't know if he's going to be uh, – no, I'd, I'd be shocked if he was at the level – I mean, Patrick Mahomes in his second year in the NFL, basically his first year as a starter was the MVP. That was insane. Patrick Mahomes is awesome. So I don't – that's not going to happen with Baker Mayfield. That, that would be insane if he's as good as Mahomes was this past year just because of all the weapons around Mahomes and he's got Andy Reid. But I could I could see Mayfield taking a bit of a jump too, and you know throwing 35, 30, 35 touchdowns. I mean he's got Beckham. I mean Beckham would like win games for the Giants as a wide receiver. I mean he would take like slants to the house. Yeah, like I mean there's out, which is kind of crazy. There's there's very very like there's very large boom potential for this, but I think the bust potential is it like could be just as catastrophic. I think it's going to go very very heavy in in either way. It's either going to be a huge boom, or it's going to it's going to, or or Odell Beckham's going to burn that place to the ground. It's 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 going to be one or the other. In the three years that Mayfield was at OU, do they have any kind of diva type players that you can think of? I mean that that could have potentially been bad for the locker room. Mm, not that I can. No, not not anything that's coming to mind. Yeah, me neither. That Mixon to, is the first thing that comes to my mind, but I don't think he was ever a locker room issue. Nah, nah, he was. Nah, he's. A, I mean, everyone loved Mixon. I mean, he, as far as I know, he was a great teammate, and yeah, he. And heck, I mean, he was sharing. I mean, him and Samaj P. Ryan were basically sharing the rock, and you know, I'd never heard anything about Mixon being mad about not getting enough touches or anything like that. Because I mean, he got plenty of touches. So yeah, I'm just trying to think of. You know, certainly it's going to be a new thing for Baker Mayfield. He's never had to deal with uh, this kind of player this kind of wide receiver I mean you could make the argument that Jarvis Landry was I mean I know he wasn't really a diva in Miami because he got a lot of catches and stuff like that and he didn't get as many catches as he probably would have liked this year in Cleveland and it's mainly because Jarvis Landry he's he's a he's a nice player he's not a number one guy he's not a number one type player he's a number two kind of guy and or he's almost I mean at best he's a 1b and Mayfield spreads the ball around that's the thing I mean 
he spreads the ball around. It doesn't matter who you are. Uh, but I mean, uh, yeah, I, I just, I'm, I'm pretty positive. I, mean, I feel pretty good about this move, but I do think that it's insane that the Browns like Super Bowl odds have skyrocketed and they're, you know, one of the, I think maybe like sixth or seventh best odds to win the Super Bowl. That is, that is pretty insane considering they didn't make the playoffs last year. And most importantly, the most important part of this whole thing is that they have a first year head coach in Freddie Kitchens that we're not so sure of what he is yet. We know he's a great, good play caller and a creative guy offensively, but as a head coach, we just don't know. And that's yeah. my biggest that's my biggest concern actually is Freddie Kitchens, to be honest with you. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. How does a how does a first time, first year head coach deal with Odell Beckham if he's if he's causing problems? You know, I it's mm-hmm. I, I think I think this stuff can can have a have a much larger destabilizing force uh, than people are, are are willing to give it from the onset. Um, we'll see. I don't know. I mean, but I, I understand kind of how I'm coming off here. Don't kid yourself. I am absolutely tickled by the prospect of watching Baker Mayfield throw touchdowns to OBJ. <laughs> like that sounds awesome. Um, I am just I'm, I'm skeptical that it's going to work out as as smoothly as. As, as people are anticipating. I'm not skeptical at all about the Browns offense. Uh, you know, I'm concerned about the potential of a sophomore slump just because I'm, I'm, I'm just, I think Baker's going to be good again. It's just, I, you know, I'm just, I'm worried that with more film that he, he's going to have some growing pains because he'll have to adjust a little bit more maybe. So I'm worried about that. But the, my main concerns though, is like I said, Freddie kitchens being a first year head coach and, and, only having to deal with the offense for the most part and position groups leading up before the last eight games of last year. And then also a big concern of me is the defense because now Greg Williams is gone and Steve Wilkes is the defensive coordinator. I know Wilkes was just a head coach, but he was the head coach for the Cardinals and that was just an incompetent coaching staff last year. I'm not so sure if the Cardinals defense was even that great. And he's a defensive minded guy. Obviously the worst, coordinator. worst coordinated offense I've ever seen in the NFL. So, so I'm concerned about Cardinals. Yeah, I'm concerned about the Browns' defense potentially. I mean, it wasn't a great defense under Greg Williams, but it, it wasn't a bad defense. It was a very high-risk, high-reward. They blitzed a lot. They put a lot of pressure on the offenses. I don't know what Steve Wilkes' philosophy is, but I'm concerned about the Browns' defense. It's good to know, though, they have some really good players on that side of the ball still, a lot of those first-round draft picks. Uh, and you know, that, there was rumors that they might be able to sign Earl Thomas after losing Jabril Peppers, but that didn't happen. Earl Thomas went somewhere else. So, uh those are the big concerns, I think, with the Browns. All right. Well, that's all I have, Grant. You good? I'm good. All right. That's it for today. We'll be back next week with a little bit more, maybe a lot more. Uh, you know, perhaps the schedule might change next week, depending on spring practice for Oklahoma. I'm not 100% sure of the schedule off the top of my head. So stay tuned to the Facebook page for updates on that. Until next time, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.